Hope you have your Bibles with you. One of the best church services I've ever experienced wasn't even in English. It was in Turkey. My brother was a missionary there when I was about 18 years old, and we went to visit him. Turkey's amazing. It's actually a secular country, but it is surrounded by so many different religions, but in particular Islam, that to be a Christ follower in the country of Turkey is, is challenging. And uh, this was the first church that I'd ever attended that I would say was an underground church. And part of it, as you parked on the streets to go into this church building, is that there was no markings on the outside that you're going into a church building. And then they did meet in the basement, but these people love the Lord and they could worship. You know, you know when you've been to a church service where it's kind of like, all right, we get up now and then we do this and we do and it, And it feels routine and rote. And then you've been in a church service where you've said, they, we encountered the living God there. You know, even, even though it wasn't even in English, that was the experience that I had on that day. And I came out of that church service that morning, just fired up. It was just an amazing experience. Some of their songs I could relate to and others, I had no idea what they were singing, but I'm sure it was awesome. When we went outside though, we noticed that there were many people from the church that were on their knees beside their cars. And what they were doing is that while they were in the middle of this church service, somebody had gone through and had slashed the tires of many of the members of the church. But what happened next was extremely profound for me. And that is in the parking lot, in the street, there became this impromptu worship service that happened. Now, I don't know about you, but if you step out of church today and your tire slashed, I don't know about me, I guess, but I'm going to say are the first things that would be on my lips, praise to the Lord. The Apostle Paul today, as we continue our study through the book of Colossians, is going to say something that's so counterintuitive. He's going to talk about the privilege of suffering for the name of Christ. And it ought to make us scratch our heads. Who considers it a privilege to be associated with the sacrifice uh, that, 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 that your life and limb is put at risk. We know the Apostle Paul went through so much in his life, right? But, but instead of responding in cowardice, what he chose to do was that he chose to be a man who responded with the glory of God in mind. You know that church in Turkey, um, what we would hear later, I'm not sure if it's a, the same group of, of people, but read in the news that just uh, three years ago, there was a terrible suicide bombing that was an attack on a church in downtown Ankara. And there, were, um, there was a tremendous number of believers who gave their life because of the fact that they chose to show up at church that day. 36 dead, 100 injured. When the apostle Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain, He's not saying something that is hypothetical for all believers in the world that we live in. But, but to this day, there are some people who are forced with the question of being able to identify themselves with Christ and in that process, putting their life at risk, putting their families at risk, putting their jobs at risk. And, and it's essential for us as we, as we continue in through this series through the book of Colossians that we remember that when you and I encounter suffering, that we have one of two responses for it. One of them can be that we retreat, that we throw up the white flag, that we give up, we say, I'm out of here, or the other is that we can rejoice. 
The Apostle Paul models this beautifully. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. You know, suffering for the Christian, this is a real feel-good message, isn't it? Uh, suffering for the Christian ought not to be something that we avoid, but it ought to be something. This is important. If we're a Christ follower, it ought to be something that is expected in our life. Like that there's, there's an element of suffering that the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, at the beginning, he says this. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your name's sake, for your sake. Now I rejoice in my suffering. Paul's response to persecution was that he was embracing it as something that's normal. I'm convinced that I could probably stand. You remember what put Jesus on the cross in his day? was that he claimed to be God, right? There were people, especially the Jewish, the Jewish community that said, how can you have the audacity to say that? I'm pretty convinced that I could walk on the streets of Brunswick and claim to be God and people would laugh at me, ignore me, and just, you know, right? Is that possible that we could get away with this? I don't recommend that you try it. Uh, but I believe in our culture today, to say salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Or for Jesus to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. It's my belief that those phrases are the most offensive statements you can say in a culture that says, oh, there's so many paths to God. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote Colossians, he had in mind the fact that there would be a day when there would be people who would want to say, Christianity is just a way to God. And he's so concerned about it that he writes this, these words in such a way that they, they remind us of what it means to suffer for the name of Christ and what it means for us to be people who continue to shine light in the darkness. My dad used to um, have rental houses in Dayton where I grew up, and I had the privilege of working on those rental houses. And often, um, if they weren't well cared for, when we'd walk into the house after the, the renters had left and we were getting them ready for the next renters, that you could open the door and you could hear something just kind of moving on the ground. And you knew that it had cockroaches inside. And you knew that the moment that you flipped on the lights, you get, does anybody know what happens, right? They, they are out of there, right? They're, they're going to run and hide. And, and there's, there's a part of this. There's even a sound they make. I won't try to recreate it. But there's, there's, there's a component of that that I want us to remember when it comes to sharing light. Remember when we talk about the good news of the gospel, that it always has to be coupled with the bad news of the gospel, the reality that we need the salvation that God offers us. And in our, like, you guys can relate to this, right? Pitch black room. My wife likes the bedroom so black that you, you know, we've got darkening curtains on top of darkening curtains, right? No one else does this? Um, I, I will tell her that you thought she's weird. Okay, so she likes it so dark. So then when the door opens or when the windows pulled up on a day like this, what, what's the first thing that we do when the light shines in the darkness? It hurts, right? Then I think that there's a component of this when we take the gospel into places that don't have it. When, we, when we're winsome about sharing the gospel to places where people don't believe it or don't accept it, we're told that it's foolishness to those who don't believe, and it was foolishness to you and I before we accepted it. But there's a component of this that it just hurts when you shine light in the darkness. But that doesn't mean that we don't do it anymore. When the Apostle Paul says, now 
I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. The, the phrase is so profound. He, he's using an accounting term. I'm suffering for your sake. I'm okay with taking a hit because it's worth it because of what you get from this experience. For your sake carries tremendous power and freedom. Suffering is not a waste, according to the Apostle Paul. It's an investment. One of the things that's profound about this phrase is that the Apostle Paul, in his wisdom, is going to describe the sufferings of Christ and engaging together in the sufferings of Christ in this text. And, and it requires interpretation. But one thing that's really important to understand is that as he describes this, what he's saying is that when you and I engage in suffering, that we are engaging in the very suffering of Christ. In a way, what we're doing, the way I understand this passage, is that the Apostle Paul is saying that, that the Lord Jesus suffered in many ways. The Apostle Paul suffered in many ways, and he counted it a privilege to be able to enter into the sufferings of Christ. We don't believe Jesus was shipwrecked for his faith. We don't believe there are certain things. Today, we could say that we don't believe that Jesus had his tires slashed for the sake of the gospel, because he didn't have tires back then. But that in this passage, what we see is what the Apostle Paul is saying, I consider it such a privilege to be a part of what Christ has done. I'm associating with the sufferings of Christ. Jesus' sufferings did not lack anything. His death on the cross was completely sufficient. But what he's saying here is, I get to be a part of it. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul became a believer that the Lord confronted him and he said to him from, that God said to the Apostle Paul when he was still Saul, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my believers? Is that what he said? No. He said, Saul, Saul. Are you guys awake? You all fell asleep already. It's not even, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's a fascinating statement, right? Because at that point, we've seen the stoning of Stephen and we see that he's persecuting the body of Christ. And the Apostle Paul understands something. Do you remember Ananias, the guy who got the short stick, who was the one who had to describe to the other believers that Saul's now fighting on the good team, that, that he's made the transition from Saul to Paul, and he's going to be an ambassador for Christ? The words that Ananias said was fascinating. He says, he said, God says to Ananias, Ananias, I'm going to show Paul how much he must suffer for, do you remember what he says? For my name's sake, right? That there's a, a joint unity and suffering for the body of Christ that means that we get to do this thing together. We get to join in the sufferings of Christ. And, and, and the, the painful part of this is that when Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings, that we know that there are individuals in the world that we live in that retreat in the midst of their suffering. That they've chosen to say, I'm out. Uh, this is too much. It costs too much to me. I could think of the time when I had the privilege of taking a group of teenagers to Liberia, West Africa, in the days after civil war had ripped that country apart. There was not much electricity, only generators. It was a hard place to be. And we were so excited. We'd been training for this mission trip. It was a long trip. It was two weeks long. And then we showed up at the airport, and there were all kinds of West Africans in the airport. And there was just a small group of Western missionaries that were there in the corner. And we, we came in. We're just coming off. I've never been to Africa before. This is the first time I'd ever gone. And within minutes, we got to greet a number of people, and we got to connect with the missionaries. And they were actually going to get on the plane that we had flown over on. And they said that their plan 
was to be in Liberia for multiple weeks, but that it was, this is what they said. They said it was too hard and they were going to get on a plane. They had to pay extra to be able to fly home after four days. Now, that's not the welcome wagon you're looking for when you're coming to, to do a missions trip like that. They, they literally said it was too hard. And you know what's amazing for my team? We, we go through this experience. We, we reflected after the trip how amazing the timing was of that, that here we're showing up. We don't know what we're going to get into, but that we saw God at work in such a way that at the end, when we're celebrating what God did, the things that he did, how he showed up, how he blessed us, how he, he totally shocked us with his goodness, I think every one of us would have said, oh, it's totally worth it. But, but the introduction was that there were individuals who, who missed out. Notice my wording here, because it's really important that they missed out on the opportunity of being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus that time because they gave up. And I, I think of that all of the time in my own life in, in terms of saying, where am I doing this? Where am I choosing to say, just costs too much? It, it, it is going to be too difficult. This is too expensive for my family. And when I'm talking about, I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about energy. I'm talking about investment. I'm actually talking about that part of me that says, I care about this person. Do I, do I love this person? I have family members that aren't believers and that, that I have to wrestle with in my heart. Do I love them enough to potentially put at risk the relationship that I have with them? Know that some of you in this room can relate to this. In those last words that Paul says there, and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Why? for the sake of his body that is the church. Paul says, yes, I get to be a part of what God's doing. You know, you could, you could look at this from a different perspective that, do you know when we pray in Jesus' name that that's not like the conclusion of our prayers. That's not like the, the salutation. But when we pray in Jesus' name, what we're really saying is we're saying, when I pray, I want to pray the very prayers of Christ that, that if he were here, he would be praying this prayer. I'm, I'm an ambassador for the prayers of Christ in this situation. So, so when the apostle Paul says that I get to do this for the sake of his body, then he's saying, I get to represent the very sacrifice of Christ today. I get to be his ambassador. I get to enjoy the privilege of suffering. It's a mystery, but it's one that is full of joy. The first point this morning is when we experience suffering, we can retreat or rejoice. The second one is going to flow out of verse, chapter 1, verse 25, and go until chapter 2, verse 4. And it's, we have been the, given the tremendous privilege to be people that share hope. And get that privilege. It's a tremendous privilege. And it's important that we don't forget that that is a privilege in the New Living Translation, um, this, this verse 25, it's helpful to unpack it. The ESV is the, the, verse, or the version that I prefer to study from, but it helps me to understand this verse better in this wording. Paul in the ESV uses these words like stewardship and privilege. But in verse 25, he says this, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Brothers and sisters, I think that's what you and I can say. God's given us the privilege to have, for those of us who are Christ followers, if you're a believer, if you've heard the message of the gospel, you have this opportunity, this responsibility of serving your, his church by proclaiming 
his entire message, not a portion of it, but his entire message. And it's my suggestion, suggestion excuse me, this morning, that it ought to cost us something. There's a, there's a cost for admission there. And for, for some of us, now I have a confession to make. I did not win this year's home run derby that was played in, in Cleveland, right? I, I, you laugh, right? But I wasn't invited to participate, right? I didn't show up. I didn't swing the bat. And, and for some of us, we can say, I'm not worried about suffering for the name of Christ because we're really choosing not to show up at all. We're distancing ourselves or from being associated with the Christ that, that we call as our namesake. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 26, he says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to, the, to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his majesty, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This description is multi-layered. First of all, he's talking about the beauty that comes from the diversity of the body of Christ, that Jews and Gentiles, it's such a mystery. How's this going to work? It was amazing at the beginning of the early church. But then this phrase, this phrase is so important. This is actually the summary of the hope that you and I get to have as Christ followers. You see this last phrase, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the, the central point of the message this morning. This is what we get to look forward to. I think of Don Sabota, and I think of him as his body wasted away because of the ALS that inside, he looked at me in the eyes just a couple weeks ago and he said, I'm ready to go. He said, I'm looking forward to getting to meet. And he's telling me all the people he's looking forward to meet. And he, he was in the valley of the shadow of death, but he feared no evil because of the fact that this phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If we get this confused, we've got ourselves into a lot of trouble then I'm convinced that we get this message a little tweaked around because what he's saying is that he's not confusing heaven with what I'm expecting today, right? Like that I'm expecting everything that I experienced today to not have suffering, to not have pain, to, to go uh, comfortably. No, no. The person who confuses that wants to try to make heaven be here today. Now, this hope of glory or hope of glorification hope of being able to live in the presence of the Lord. Remember what Paul says, to live in Christ and to die is gain. He's assuming that we're going to struggle in the world that we live in, especially if we're ambassadors for Christ. But we get the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We get to have God reigning within our lives, and it overflows. Christ in us, the hope of glory, is what a believer looks at when they say, we don't mourn as those who have no, what's the word? So we have no hope, but we recognize that he's a promise-keeping God, that Christ in us, the hope of glory, becomes the most profound thing about us. Proclaiming the whole message of the gospel is essential. For some people, they want to just focus in on the good news and recognize that there's no need to receive the good news if you haven't understood the desperate, the desperate need that we have to experience the salvation of God. It's helpful for me to look at this and to see that this, this is the living word of God that the Apostle Paul is proclaiming through his life. And ultimately, he's going to proclaim it through his death. So this message is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
It's a message for everyone. It's not limited to a select group of people. And this unity admits diversity is tremendously beautiful. It is what God designed for his body to be. And it builds on, this is what I get excited about, to be honest, about Hope Church, is that I get excited about our community, hearing the truth of the gospel from us. Not just me, but us. That we, we are going to continue to pursue the needs of this community actively and passionately. And it's not just one person. We're not isolated in the midst of this. This, is, this is, is built upon us doing this as a body together. That we get to celebrate what God's doing, even if somebody else experienced it. Synergy is one of the great words in God's word. If you've ever seen this, have you ever seen um, this illustration before? Let me show you a picture. So um, it's a pretty impressive load, isn't it? So... Um, this, this, these draft horses, we're told that a single draft horse can, can pull 8,000 pounds. How many of you think you've got 8,000 covered yourself? All right. How many think your dad's got it? All right. That's good. Um, that's a lot of weight, right? 8,000 pounds. But if you add a second draft horse, and the key stipulation with this is that it's not trained, they have never worked before, just any two draft horses that are this particular type of draft horse, we're told that the two of them can pull between 20 to 24,000 pounds. Isn't that amazing? So what's happening there is that there's, there's synergy that's happening from working together. This is why we call missions a partnership, is that it's not just, just the Sabotas out doing their thing and we've forgotten about them. It's that their victories are our victories, and we're, 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 charter, we're charging together, forward together. And one of the things that I hope that happens at Hope Church more is this last statistic is fascinating. If you learn how to work together. Two horses that are trained together can pull between 30,000 to 32,000 pounds. If they are rowing together well, if they're pushing through together well, isn't that profound? That, that individually we can only accomplish so much, but together we can accomplish something profound. And as we continue on in verse 28, the Apostle Paul says this, Him we proclaim warning everyone. That, that word in some translations is actually the same word that nuthetic, that we get the word nuthetic counseling. It's actually translated as counseling sometimes. Fascinating to think of warning. That he says, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It's not a limited statement that he's saying. There's no limitation on that statement. Everyone receives the gospel. I confess to you when it comes to the things that hinder my ability to really represent the love of Christ well, is I kind of pre-screen people with the gospel. Oh, I think they're going to respond. Oh, I, I think they're, they're, they would receive the gospel message well. I don't think that that guy would receive it very well. Do anybody else relate to this? Like, that we, we pre-screen people. Paul is emphasizing here that this is the gospel for everyone, and that there's an element of this that he's warning. He's wisely teaching. I want to suggest this morning that you can be obnoxious in the way you share the gospel. We've seen people be obnoxious in the way they share the gospel. I think the, the winsome Christ that we follow was a master at asking questions. We see later in um, Colossians 4, the apostle Paul talks about seasoning our words with salt, being wise about how we act towards outsiders. I do believe that, that the gospel does require us to do more than just actions, though. 
I think often we say, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You've heard that quote to St. Francis Assisi. Speak the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Think that the gospel necessitates the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it is necessary that we not just live our faith out, but that ultimately we live in such a way. This is what Paul says his goal is in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. He says it's encouraged, unified, incorruptible, mature, secure believers. That's the goal. He says this in verse 29. He says, For this I toil, struggling with all energy that he powerfully works within me. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that's God's energy, that he powerfully works within me. This ministry is not something that's easy. This ministry is something that requires effort. Uh, this, this word uh, for effort is agon. It's the word we get our word um, agony from. It's, a, it's an athletic term. It's struggling on behalf of someone else. This, this sharing of the gospel requires tremendous effort. I love this story that um, some of you guys know this guy's, um, you guys have seen him on TV. This is Penn Gillette. Do you know Penn and Teller? You guys, anybody familiar with this? So um, they've got a TV show and he's a comedian. He's an outspoken atheist. And one of the things that Penn did early on when he was doing his shows in Vegas is he'd, he'd put a little um, a phone out and he'd just do a quick blog, a video blog. And after one of the, the blog, uh, after one of his shows, he shared the story of how there was a man who came up to him that had a little Gideon Bible. And he brought it up to him after the service and he shared it with, with, um, with Penn Gillette. Now, now the, um, the, the response that I would assume, because this man is an outspoken atheist, is who do you think you are? But he, in this little video blog, goes on to say that he respects people who proselytize. He, he uses that word and he says, I don't respect people who don't proselytize because how, how is it that you could be someone who believes in heaven and hell and that you would choose to not tell someone? His exact words, it's on the screen. He says, how much do you have to hate someone to not share that with them? He then he uses this illustration. He says, if there's a truck that's coming down the road and you see somebody in the road that doesn't notice it, there's a moment that you get to when you tackle them, right? Because you just care about them and that it makes sense that you love them enough. And in, in the words of an atheist, I think we can find ourselves being reminded of the fact, like if we really take this seriously, that it ought to really provoke us to action, right? That it, it ought to do something within us to say, you know what, it's worth me sacrificing my comfort. It's worth me sacrificing my fears. It's worth me sacrificing whatever it takes because of the fact that I am entering into the sufferings of Christ and to be able to share it in a way that's winsome and loving that someone did for you, that someone did for me. In verse 29, he said, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is God's work that he's doing through us. Sorry, this verse is not on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me as we continue on through the, the chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the all mystery, which is Christ, 
are to all the riches of the full assurance of the understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. We've, we've said in the book of Colossians, as we study it, that there's, there's a fear that the apostle Paul has. He says, I've never visited with you. I've never been with you. I've heard about your faith. But I've heard that there's people who want to keep taking the gospel and they want to keep, keep comparing it with other faiths and just make it one of many. Remember the Build-A-Bear illustration? Like they, that they want to just pick different bits and pieces of faith and make something that's custom fit to you. Does that sound familiar in the culture we live in? You bet it does. But instead what he's saying is, I want to see believers who understand the gospel in such a way that they're encouraged, unified, incorruptible, mature, secure believers that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. As we close this message, I want to challenge you to apply this in your life in in three different ways. Three questions that I have for you that, that I hope help you to understand what God is doing in and through us. So, so the first question is what we began with. When you experience suffering in your life, because remember, it's assumed for the Christ follower, how do you respond? Is it retreat or is it rejoicing? And, and if you find yourself on that side of saying, I retreat, I'm just going to encourage you to put yourself out there, to rest in his power, to trust that he loves you enough to sustain you through putting yourself in to be all in for the mission that God's asked you to be a part of. The second one is, if you're a believer, who are you pursuing deliberately with the gospel? I love that for every believer that's in this room, someone chose to pursue them, right? Someone chose to love them enough to do that awkward thing of talking to them about the reality of what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. I say awkward because of the fact that you're talking about such intimate things, but I would also say that it's the, the best gift that you could possibly give someone. So in your bulletin, we have a little, little card that, that talks about the sermon series. And I would love to encourage you to use that to invite someone to join us here at church. But I want to make sure that that's not what we're calling evangelism. If a person comes with you to church, we talked about the statistics of that last week, that, that lots of people are likely to come to church if we invite them. We want to keep inviting them. But beyond that, we recognize, though, that the reality of the gospel is something that still needs to be lived out and it needs to be given as an example. And for some of us, this leads to the third challenge that I have for you. And that is for some of us in this room, I'm guessing that when it comes to, to our, our faith, that there's parts of it that we look at our own life and we say, you know, I, I would love to share the gospel with someone but I'm really afraid that they're going to ask me a question that I don't have an answer for. I would love to share the gospel with someone, but I'm afraid that they're going to look at my life and they're going to say, you guys know that the easiest person to share the gospel with is the person who's in another country that you're visiting for two days and that you're just going to drop the message and then you come back. It's, it's the easiest because they don't have to see your life. But, but your neighbor, the one who's watching how you deal with that line between your house or the, um, the way you deal with all those challenging issues that come up with, that's the toughest one to share the gospel with. But I believe that that's the one that the Lord's asked us to do. <laughs> when I was a youth pastor, we, we used to do a lot of trainings. I love to do trainings on sharing the gospel. And really, most of the time, it, it involves asking really good spiritual conversations or really good conversa- questions, just good questions. How do you... 
Um, tell me about your story. Who are you? Let's, let's find out what God's doing in your life or what you feel like he's not doing in your life, starting spiritual conversations. But often, there'd be a student that really understood the value of sharing the gospel, and then the follow-up would be that people would ask them hard questions. And so they'd call me up. All right, they asked about this. What do we believe about this? You know? And, and I, over time, I'd, I'd help them through it at the beginning, and then finally, it'd just be, you got this. Like, you got, you got the word. You got the ability to answer this question. It's, it's a question that you ought to be asking yourself. So the wording on this third one is, what questions do you need to ask? I'm just going to ask you about your own faith, your own walk with the Lord. If you're in this room and you're saying, I'm afraid that somebody's going to ask me a question about this, do you remember what the mandate is? It's to study to show yourself a workman approved, rightly able to handle the truth, Right? That's, that's the challenge for us as Christ followers, that we ought to be people who are able to handle it ourselves instead of having to depend on someone else to digest it for us. And so if you're here today and you go, I'm afraid that they're going to ask a question that I don't have an answer for, I just want to tell you, as a person who formally studied theology for years in school, that, that your questions have really good answers out there. But you need to be willing to ask the question, and I want to encourage you to do that for yourself. I also want to encourage you to be willing to say, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get back to you because that's a wonderful gift to someone. I also want to encourage you to, to really look at how you're approaching people who are around you that aren't believers. Are you pre-screening them? Are you somebody who really truly lives in such a way that you believe that every person you encounter is, is a person who's eternal and someone who has the potential of being a brother and sister in Christ. I think if we do that, I think when we do that, there's a real possibility that we're going to have challenges through that process. But, but my guess is, like that church in Turkey that day, when they, they came out, the first thing I'm sure that they did was they were costing in their mind, they were counting up how much is this going to cost to repair? What's the process going to be? But then do you remember what they ended up doing? They ended up doing what the Apostle Paul says, that they rejoiced in their suffering. And in that parking lot, they declared together the praises of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do you know why? Do you know why they did that? Because he's worth it, right? That's the story. And I think that that's why when we say Christ in you, the hope of glory that that could be the most powerful message we could ever declare to someone. Will you join me in praying? Lord, we love you. And we thank you and praise you for your truth. Lord, I thank you that you promise us that your word will not return void. And I, I thank you, just looking at it in this service, just thinking about the fact that it is through the power of God, it's through his power that we get to experience this. Lord, when you say, apart from me, you can accomplish nothing, just pray for that person that's here today who says, I'm not clever enough, I'm not wise enough, I don't know enough uh, to put myself out there. Lord, would you remind them of your sustaining power that you tell us that, that you will give us the words that we lack. But I also just pray for us as a church. I I pray that you would put inside of our hearts a desire to love people like we've been loved, uh, the desire to see the mystery the way the Apostle Paul put it, to say that he had understood the mystery of, of turning fear 
into um, praising and worshiping your name. Lord, I thank you that he rejoiced in his suffering. And I pray for each one of us that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers. We pray this in Jesus' name.